Hola mi gente, what up my people, my name is Pastor Rich Colon, I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, broadcasting to you live from Southwest Detroit, Michigan. Wherever you're listening from, I'm glad that you are listening. This podcast is meant to do one of two things, and that is either bring you our message content or it's content that we thought would enrich our message content. We'll have more information at the end of this episode on how you can get connected with us either in person, online, or on social media. But for now, thanks for listening to this podcast. Gracias para escuchando este podcast. And let's get into it. Vamos. All right. So, hey, um, thank you once again uh, for being with us at Santos Church. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, today I'm, I'm, I'm jacked. I'm like pumped. I'm ready to rock because we are starting a brand new series today. This series we are calling Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come. And this is based around the idea of what Jesus says when he's asked about the kingdom of God in Luke 17. But before I read that to you, um, this is not, this verbiage is not a new concept. If you've been around church at all, or even pop culture at all in your lifetime, um, one of the biggest times that I uh, can recall hearing the Lord's prayer uh, recited is actually in Spider-Man. Like not the newer ones with Tom Holland or or anything like that. I'm talking about the ones with, uh, with, with Toby Maguire, Kirsten Dunst. And there's a scene where uh, Peter is visiting Aunt May in the hospital, and Aunt May is praying the Lord's Prayer, right? And there's a there's a, a, a phrasing in the Lord's Prayer where the words go, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as is in heaven." And that is essentially, if I could sum up that sentiment in two words, it's literally making the proclamation, "Kingdom come, God's kingdom of heaven." come and invade life here as we know it on this side of heaven in as much as can be done on this side of heaven. And so we as believers, what we want to look at for the next three weeks is how we can play our part in that. What is our role in seeing God's kingdom come to this earth, to our lives, to our work, to our jobs, to our relationships, and how we can exemplify and be real life enactments of the kingdom of God to show other people what that's like and invite people in to that same kingdom. And so let me read to you our theme verse for the next three weeks. Our theme verse is Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. This is out of the NIV, and it says this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees, those were like the religious elite of the day. They were untouchable, right? Like they they held the monopoly on being right and righteous according to the written law. And so when being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So to be sure, the kingdom of God is is a place. Like heaven is a place that has a real literal geography, right? Like it's cool to kind of think about this and to say it like this. Heaven is our hometown. Like heaven is Jesus's hometown. Like when we get back to heaven, we're going to be like, yo, it's good to be back, baby, right? Like heaven is a place and that is, that's for sure, but it's not of this world. And so Jesus, when talking to somebody in a worldly context, speaking the language of the time and the place that he was in, he's saying like, yo, you're not going to see this literal kingdom with castles and, and land and horses and all that here because the kingdom of God here is not that. The kingdom of God 
is actually in your midst. It's found amongst each other. Other translations say the kingdom of God is inside of you. Here on this side of heaven, the kingdom of God is something that we harness inside of us. And it's found and facilitated through community with other people. And that's very important. And so for the next three weeks, we want to talk about and look at how we as individuals, but also we corporately as the community of believers, the church, how we exemplify God's kingdom here, the kingdom come, right? And so um, in thinking about this week, number one, we're going to dive right in. Um, I have a number of hobbies that I really enjoy doing. Um, If you've listened (laughs) to me talk for any amount of time, then you know that I oftentimes like pull references from music. I love music. I write music. I do a little hip hop, right? Uh, I have for years. So I love that creative outlet. I love athletics. Recently, uh, my my biggest or my my newest excitement as far as athletic goes has come around the sport of boxing. Like I bought boxing gloves. I bought a heavy bag. I've been doing like these YouTube workouts at home. And like I've been watching more boxing fights, trying to study the technique. I love athletics. That's another outlet uh, that I, I just love jumping into, right? Writing is one, whether it's writing a message or writing a poem or writing a song or writing a story. I love writing. But one that stayed with me the longest is drawing. Like ever since I was young, I was in drawing classes. I got scoped out in like third grade. I was sketching something. My teacher let the art teacher of the school know. The art teacher approached me at lunch and was like, hey, would you like to be in this program where you and a bunch of other students come to the art class at lunchtime and you eat lunch in the class and do art projects? And I was like, for show, because in some way I was going to do something that all the other students weren't. So I was like super dope with it. So I did that. And I just loved being artistic. I loved drawing. But one of the best feelings that you get when drawing, especially when you're young and you're a young artist, you're aspiring, you're on the come up, you want want to feel a little bit of validity with your work. One of the best feelings is when you draw something, you sketch something, and you show it to somebody, and you don't have to explain it. You don't have to tell people what you drew. You don't have to point out the elements in it. Instead, all you do is show them the picture, and people know what it is that you drew, what you illustrated. They understand what you were trying to bring to life simply by your creative expression. You didn't need words to explain it. That moment of inspired depiction of something that's so accurate or at least accurate enough for others to get it without you using words, it's an unspoken, sometimes unrealized understanding of what is going on in front of you. You see it with your eyes, you feel it in your heart, you know what it is, and it doesn't take a lot of words to convey. That's what I love about drawing. Now, for you and I, throughout our lifetimes, we've been given several beautiful opportunities to depict certain things in a similar way. You may not draw, you may not sing, you may not play guitar, you may not be into sports, you may not, like, those things may not be in your wheelhouse, but you still... And I still have the opportunity to to depict certain things in a similar way for people that see what we do and hear how we talk if it takes words. Some things will take words. Certain aspects will call for a deeper explanation even after people see the initial actions or, or event or happening. Some things will take an explanation generally. But there are some things 
that we can image, that we can literally demonstrate fully with our actions, with our participation, and even sometimes just our presence, things that we just show up for, that that alone could be enough in certain areas and aspects to be an accurate image of something else that's going on. The thing is, is that very few things have as much weight and significance as the image that I'm referring to today that we all play a part in. This one is also unique because this is one of the few things, literally and spiritually, that you and I, when we're trying to be a depiction of something or communicate something creatively, this is one of the few things that we can't do alone. There are things you could sing and play guitar and, and effectively perform a song alone. You could draw something and get some paint and then color it in on a canvas and display it on your own. There are a lot of things that you can do creatively to demonstrate or image something by yourself. But in this particular case, what we're talking about today, it it cannot be done alone. It's not a solo effort. It's a collective participation that is required to image what I'm talking about today. It takes a group. As you could say, like when you get furniture and you get a bunch of, bunch of Ikea parts, like there comes like a little slip of paper with it, or sometimes it says on the box, it'll say, some assembly required. Well, in this case, assembly is required. Assembling together is required. What I'm talking about is church. And I don't simply mean showing up to a building, brick and mortar, showing up to church, but in a way it, it does involve that. It's definitely not limited to that, but that is part of it. And I'm, I'm going to show you why. What I want to do for week one of Kingdom Come is show you in a very literal way, in a very scriptural way, how just participating and being active in a vibrant faith community known as the church, which again is not limited to Sunday mornings, but does include Sunday mornings, how that can be an image and a picture and a depiction And it can exemplify to other people who may not know Jesus yet, other onlookers, other people that see that kind of activity in our life. And when they see us corporately together, it is a communication literally of God's kingdom to them. So let me show you what I mean. Scripturally, this is, these are some flat out, just like perfect ways to describe really what church is when it's done the right way. So if you have a Bible, or if you're bookmarking it, or if you have it in your phone, uh, I'm looking at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Revelation, if you didn't know, it's written by John. John is exiled to this island, and he has a vision. And he has this vision of really like the last days. And then he has a vision of heaven and all these different things. And this is him describing his vision of eternity. Like, think about that. He eternity of the kingdom of God, literally the geography of it. And this is his description, Revelation 7, 9, and 10. He says this, after this, I saw a vast crowd and it was too great to count. So there's mad people there. They were from every nation, every tribe and people and language. They were standing in front of the throne and before the lamb who is Jesus. And they were clothed in white robes And they held palm branches, shout out to Palm Sunday, and they were shouting with a great roar, 
Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Translation, John is looking out at the kingdom, the kingdom, the, like heaven, eternity. And this is what he sees. He sees people that are from every nation. They're multicultural, people from every tribe, people with different languages, but the one thing that united them was that they were standing in front of the throne of God. They were standing in front of Jesus and they were worshiping Jesus. So in the, the most simplistic way I could put this, you had people from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different cultures, spoke different languages, had different preferences, different socioeconomic backgrounds and contexts, but they were all gathered together in assembly to worship Jesus. And here at Santos, that's exactly what we try to be. Like we, we, we're a multi-ethnic church that gathers together to worship Jesus. The church. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Jeremiah is a prophet, right? And so he's speaking over God's people. And Jeremiah, it says, at that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. All nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. It's like, it's like what we just read in Revelation. All nations, all people, not just one. It's not monolithic. It's not one nation. It's not, it's not America. It's not only Europe. It's not all. It's people from everywhere, literally everywhere. It's a tapestry of culture and race and ethnic groups, and they're all together again to do one thing, that's worship Jesus. Acts chapter 2 is our New Testament. Like a lot of people use this as an outline for what the church should be, like practically worked out if we were killing it, just hitting the nail on the head every single time, every single week, day in and day out, living in community. This is what the church should replicate. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and that says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So not just fellowship, but to teaching and being under good teaching and to fellowship, being together, community, and then sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, so even communion, and to prayer. Verse 43 through 47 says this, and, and in that space, in them being devoted to being around teaching and, and, and hearing that and breaking bread and community and fellowship and taking communion together, out of that, a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44, and all believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold all their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Check this out, 46. They worshiped together at the temple, not just once a week, not twice a week, not just for small groups. They worshiped together at the temple every day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared meals with great joy and generosity. 
there's a small note there that probably could be another message that joy and generosity are put together. So take that how you will. If you're if you don't feel great and it bums you out to be generous, check your heart, right? They they did these things with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And from that place, so there's like this, this explosion of people that just want to kick it together and want to be at church together. We hear a lot of talk nowadays about how, you know, the church should, should be something else. It should be a different expression or a different like iteration or, or, or whatever of, yeah, well, we don't just need to, like the church isn't the building anyway, it's the people. Yes, that's true. But, but it's not an either or, it's a both and, right? Like we need to come together under teaching. We need to value scripture. We need to value this biblical picture of what it looks like to assemble together for the sake of hearing God's word and worshiping. When, the, when, when, when John looks and sees what eternity looks like, people are together with their hands in the air, worshiping God together. From every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, worshiping together in the book of Acts, when you have this explosion of people that are coming to Jesus, when you have people that are getting saved, you have people wanting to take communion together and eat meals together and share everything they had. And with joy and generosity, it says, they devoted themselves not just to fellowship, but also to the teaching, the apostles' teaching to meet together in the temple with frequency, with regularity. They give priority to these things. So I want to show you the priority here. When we talk about God's kingdom come, I'm really convinced that people need to see God's people give priority to the things that Jesus himself and scripture gives priority to. Right now, we, we're in a day and time, in, in, at least in Western and American church culture, where it's, it's, we, we give a lot of value to a worship experience. And I'm not, a, I'm not against that. I'm, I'm fully about that. We want to meet in like these worship circles now and have the band in the middle and everybody just jumping and shouting and singing, and, and w- which is super dope, like so good. Like, like I, I love it. I love it. I'm all about it. But it's not just that. Because now it becomes the culture to chase that experience, but now we have a, a we, we, we have a deficiency when it comes to our ability to sit and listen to good teaching. We need both, not just one or the other. We have people who will love to meet and get coffee together and do cool like hipster coffee, pour over things and, and talk about God over that and like sip coffee and talk about how you taste different flowers and isn't God good that you can taste all these flavors and notes in a coffee bean, amen. That's, that's for sure. Like worship God in your meeting together and fellowship, but also devote yourselves to some sound teaching. Make a priority to get in your Bible, to hear good Bible teaching, to meet and to do church together as far as attending a service to hear teaching and to worship corporately, but then also meet in each other's homes. Have have tight-knit friends that you toil with and struggle with and celebrate with, but it's not one or the other Because when you only esteem one and not the other, you don't have a holistic, healthy view or expression of what church is. And what I'm about to read to you now is is to show you the importance 
of people seeing us value that, of us coming back to that, returning to that, ascribing worth to that again for the sake of God's kingdom here, now, and for the sake of eternity in God's kingdom then and there. So let me read this to you. Ezekiel chapter 47, verses one through seven. Ezekiel is a prophet as well. And Ezekiel has this vision. And he's sharing this vision with a people group that has kind of lost their way because they've prioritized other things over God. Like they, they keep wanting to stay on God's path, but then they sway and they get off track. And Ezekiel is trying to, to prophesy to them and remind them the importance of, of, of coming back to God, of like following Jesus, and, well, not Jesus at the time, but following God and staying in that and, and circumventing the trials and the, the bad things that they keep finding this, themselves in. And he wants them to understand, hey, you're going through these things because of your failure to stay true to your faith and to follow God with a little bit of resolve. Every time the wind blows and a different temptation comes or a different cultural wave comes, you jump on that and it gets you off track. And because of that, your faith will perish and you will feel the repercussions. So come back to God. This is Ezekiel. And so here's Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47, verses one through seven. He says this, in my vision, the man, an angel, in context, he's talking about an angel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple or the church. And there I saw a stream flowing east from beneath, from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. South side. And the man brought me outside of the church or the temple, outside the wall through the north gateway. I'm sorry, outside the, 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 the wall that surrounds the old Jerusalem city and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water that was coming from the center of that church under the doorway of the innermost area of the church. And the water was flowing out from the, from the south side to the east gateway. Measuring as the angel went, he took me along the stream. So they're standing at this river that's flowing out from the center of the temple or the church, and he took me along the stream and he measured off 1750, 1,750 feet, and then led me across. There the water was up to my ankles. Then he measured off another 1,750 feet and he led me across again. And this time the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was now up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. And it was deep enough to swim in, but not, but it, it was deep enough to swim in, but too deep for me to walk through. And he asked, have you seen, have you been watching, son of man? Are you paying attention to what's going on here? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of the many trees growing on both sides of the river. And so this is essentially a depiction. Ezekiel was walked by an angel from, from the church, right? Like, so he went in, sees the center of the church, which would be God's presence. Like that's uh, like in the temple system, like God's most holy presence would be right there. And so there's a river flowing from the presence of God, 
life in this river flowing from the presence of God. And the angel walks Ezekiel out. They follow this river. And then eventually, like the angel takes Ezekiel into this river, which flows from God, from Jesus. And he, and he starts walking out. Here's 1,750 feet. Let's walk. And after that much time, which is like a quarter mile, they're only ankle deep. So then the angel says, let's do it again. They walk another 1,750 feet, a quarter mile, and they're only knee deep now. So they're half a mile out and the water's slowly starting to rise over time. And they're just now knee deep. Takes them another 1,750, quarter mile. Now they're up to their waist. Takes them another one. And now it's all of a sudden, gradually, ever so slowly, Ezekiel finds himself in over his head in this river of life that flows from the presence of God in the church. And the angel says to him, have you been watching what's been happening? In other words, you, you may not have noticed this because it was so gradual, but we just kept walking. All you did was stay the course, Ezekiel. All you did was keep walking. And, and in one instance, you were up to your ankles. Then another instance, now it was your knees. And then another instance, it was your waist. And before you knew it, you were in over your head so much that you couldn't walk anymore. You were swimming in the presence that flowed out from God. So, so if you just stay the course, in other words, if you pay attention, you may not realize it, but your obedience to just keep walking will take you deeper and deeper and deeper in the presence of God. If you just keep walking in the presence of God. Sometimes we don't like to do that. We like to commit a little bit. We like to back out. We like to go really heavy with God for like one, two, three weeks, maybe. In, in, in Western culture in the church today, it may be worldwide, I don't know, but in Western church culture and to other pastors I talk to in our area, it is super common for them to have people that they would consider to be members of their church that only come to church like once a month. And I know other churches that are trying to like accommodate that, right? Where they're like, cool, well then we'll just, we'll just meet with that kind of frequency or maybe we'll get creative and switch it up. And I admire the 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 desire to want to meet people where they are. However, I, when I look at it, I, what I see is we, we don't need to bend to a different value that says, hey, maybe we'll only meet once every, one, like once every once in a while. We need to ascribe worth back into the things that the church historically and scripturally and biblically ascribed worth to because they found so much life there. And in this vision, Ezekiel just keeps walking He's just consistent. That's all he is. He's consistent. He's obedient. He keeps walking. And eventually he goes from not being in the river, which is indicative of God's presence, which brings life. He goes from not even being in it to being ankle, then knee, then waist, then so deep by just walking, by just staying his course, by just committing, by just being faithful. And before he knew it, he was in over his head in the presence of God. And then they go back and sit on the riverbank. And Ezekiel says this, I was surprised when I looked around and had the sight, beheld the sight of the many trees growing on both sides of this river. That is to say that anything that dwelled close enough to this river came alive. And so for us, 
A lot of times it's tempting to just get our fill, to just be at church because we think we only need to commit to this every so much because that's how much it takes to fill us. Sometimes we are tempted to think, well, maybe I don't need to be in Christian community. Maybe I don't need to be around other believers. Maybe I don't need to, I don't know, maybe maybe in our context, it would be to join a small group or go to dinner with other people from our faith community or faith family. Like, I don't need that, but here's what I what I need you to understand is that it's not always about what you need. Sometimes it's just God wanting us to be faithful, to keep going, and to be committed to being in His presence and, and, and around other people who esteem and value the same things so much that He can continue to bring life. Ezekiel looked around and saw that anything that was close enough to this river, to God's presence, brought life. But you know how it all started? Ezekiel started with this phrase, in my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple or the church. I'm not trying to bend this or convolute this in any way to something that it's not. Not, not to say, oh, your, your faith is predicated on your church attendance or you, you, maybe you're a better believer because you go to church. No, but what I am saying is that if you look through all the examples that I gave you, God's church historically, biblically, valued being together, looked forward to being together, being in community and devoting themselves, not just showing up when there's free food, but they devoted themselves to be in community, to eat together, to do life together, to be generous and joyful and devoted themselves to worshiping together and devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So there's teaching in there and there's worship in there and there's all the other things we like to do. Gathering in worship circles and jumping and clapping and celebrating together, but then also getting coffee and getting dinner and and going to sporting events and being at each other's sporting games and inviting each other to our weddings or our engagement parties or baby showers or whatever. All of that is in there and they were devoted to it. And from that life that flowed from God's presence, People were being saved. People saw the kingdom of God and they wanted a piece of it too. See, it's easy for us, for you and for me to compartmentalize our faith experience to that one day a week, to just prepare for Sunday. We show up for Sunday. We check our kids into kids' church. We hear the message. We sing the song. We clap our hands. We pick our kids up, or maybe you don't. And then we go home or we go get lunch with some people. And so we fit our church and faith experience and community into one tidy little four-hour block. We go to church, we leave, we get lunch with somebody from church, and then we're done and we don't think about it again for the next six days or maybe three or four days if you're in a small group. And we think that's what it's all about. We think that we did it. That's it. But the but like going to church isn't the goal or the plan in and of itself. What I'm trying to convey to you is to to exemplify God's kingdom come, God's kingdom here, we should be prioritizing a life marked by deep commitments to being the church because we know the importance of God's church. Why is it important, Rich? Why is it important? Because I want to suggest to you that the church, us being the church, living out the church, ascribing worth to meeting together, the way that we've already talked about, the church is the image of eternity. So when people see us valuing 
being together with people from all different nations and tribes and tongues and, and backgrounds and, 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 and family situations and job callings and work situations throughout the week and different cele- celebration moments in life, different hills and different valleys in life. And when we all come together and people see us putting aside those differences or those things that the world would see as boundaries and they see us come into a shared space and come together and be devoted to worshiping Jesus together, just like it talks about in Revelation, just like it talks about in Jeremiah. People see a sketch, a drawing of the kingdom of God, literally, the kingdom of God. When John talks about what it looked like in eternity, the next time you're in church worshiping, I want you to look to your left and your right. And I want you to realize that that is a depiction of what John describes seeing in eternity. Worshiping Jesus, lifting Jesus up with people from all over the place together. The church is the image of eternity. When people see us, multicultural, multiracial, multigenerational, different stories, different languages, all coming together to pursue God together, they see a real life and a legit artistic, poetic depiction of God's kingdom here on earth. That's why over, like around here, you might always hear us say this. We say, if you aren't here committed to you being you, we can't be us. We cannot be us without you. We need you to be yourself here because I cannot be the image of eternity by myself. And we must also realize the importance of showcasing this. God's kingdom come to people who don't yet believe. If we're showcasing heaven, people get the opportunity to see a depiction of something so beautiful And oftentimes it's unspoken, but it's understood. Like, I want you to feel that. Sometimes people don't know how to put verbiage to it, but what they're seeing, something spiritually inside, the spirit of God calling out to them, they understand it, they get it, they long for it, and it becomes magnetic. And through that, we get the opportunity to lead people, like Ezekiel said, we get to lead people back to the temple, back to the source of life. So why is that important? I want to also suggest to you that the church is God's plan for reaching the world. The church was God's plan all along. And when we honor the vision and the things laid out by the early church and through these different things that we see in scripture, like what we just went over, that was God's plan, God's design for reaching the world. Together, we gather near the source of life, God, Jesus. And in doing that, we become suppliers of new life in a dry place. God's kingdom comes by us prioritizing fellowship and gathering as a reflection of heaven. And we get to be conductors of that life. But we can't be us. The church cannot accurately be us. We can't accurately be a depiction or an image of heaven without you being you. So my invitation for you today, as we say, God's kingdom come, come, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, here as it is in heaven, Jesus, let that be us. Our invitation is that you would help us paint that picture 
that we could do this together. We can't be us without you being you. The church is literally the image of eternity. And the church is God's plan for reaching the world. So get involved. Jump in. The picture isn't complete unless you are a part of it. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, I love you and I thank you that you have called us into something so miraculous, something so powerful, something so special, like being a part of the body, your body, your church. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to ascribe worth to the things that you ascribe worth to, that you would help us to value the things that you have called us and even exemplified for us to value. Jesus, not just one aspect of the Christian experience or one aspect of fellowship or worship, but Jesus, all of it, a total holistic picture of it so that we could be the church, your church, and that others might see that and get a glimpse of your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by what you heard today and that it moves you towards action and greater faith in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us more, you can find us online at santoschurch.org. And that's also a great place to give if you'd like to contribute to the ministry and our mission here in Southwest Detroit. If you're on Instagram, you can connect with us at Santos Detroit or Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. If you find yourself in the Detroit area, we'd love to have you in person Sunday mornings at 11, 1953 Military Street. Either way, hablamos pronto. We'll talk to you soon.